Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. I've been battling like winter allergies, right? Who knew that was a thing? Anybody familiar with this before? miserable. Like what in the world? Why is this a thing? Right? Um, so I've been drinking like hot water and lemon tea all week. So um, the lemon is running dry and I'm ready to take up the fruit of the bean again. Okay. And so, um, so be, be patient with me. Um, culturally, we are becoming less and less effective in the practice of patience. Right, I'm sure that there are many within this room who can identify with that statement, partially uh, due to the fact that so much is so available so quickly. We can communicate quickly. Right? You send out a text message, subtweet, right? Instagram message, Facebook, right? I mean, all these things make communication so available. We can purchase things quickly. Amazon, I mean, like what in the world? Like you can order something at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday and it be at your house before 8 p.m. on Tuesday and you pay nothing for that. Like that's incredible. We are even able to get places quickly. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, an Australian airline Uh, completed a test of what would be the longest nonstop commercial flight in the world. Okay, 49 people traveled from New York York City to Sydney, Australia, just over 10,000 miles in 19 hours and 16 minutes. Holy cow. If you had the desire the capital and the capacity, you could drive tomorrow morning to Hartsfield, Jackson, load a plane and travel 8,438 miles in 16 hours and 27 minutes, walk off the plane and set foot in Johannesburg, South Africa without stopping. Just for a little bit of context, that's like 40 episodes of Friends and you're on an entirely different continent. Patience is difficult. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult as we find ourselves in seasons of confusion and suffering. This is where the prophet Habakkuk finds himself as we come into chapter two. Habakkuk has voiced his complaint and concern to the Lord in chapter one centering on widespread wickedness among the people of God who are neglecting the instruction of his word, giving themselves to the desires of the flesh while drastically minimizing any possibility of judgment, all while engaging in violence against one another. Habakkuk in chapter one accuses God of ignoring him. He questions his awareness. He questions God's engagement and even his justice when he says statements like this. Why did the wicked go unpunished? To which Habakkuk, to which God responds, I am doing something that is altogether beyond your comprehension. 
right? Something, something in your days that you would not believe if I told you. I am raising up the Babylonians, a dreaded and fearsome people who march through the earth, taking things that do not belong to them and devouring their enemies like eagles mounted on the backs of leopards. So essentially, the most terrifying thing you can imagine, okay, is like what we are observing being, being just laid out here in Habakkuk chapter one. And he does so all for the purpose of bringing judgment against the sin of his own people. It's at this point that Habakkuk's complaint shifts, right? Habakkuk's complaint shifts. It's no longer the sin of Judah, but the strategy of the Lord that occupies most Habakkuk's interests. God, how can you use a people more wicked than your people to extend judgment and uphold justice? to save and to solidify the importance of submission to your word as the driving force of life. Habakkuk presents this question before chapter two, verse one, taking his place from an elevated position upon the watchtower in order to look out upon the land while he waits for God to respond. What Lord do you have to say to my complaint, a response that, as we will see, is rooted in the assurance of God's punishing wickedness in its entirety at the right time. What's the call of God to Habakkuk? Well, quite simply, it's this, right? It's this, it's this call to a people familiar with suffering and hardship, those who continue to look to and trust him in spite of hardship in the world and in the presence or or, or having this this, the pleasure being placed on them from, from external forces. The call is this, trust me, trust me. Trust me and and know that I will vindicate my people. That's a word that becomes, becomes very appropriate apparent as we work our way through chapter two, this idea of vindication for the people of God. Until then, God says, I will provide strength, strength to continue to walk in faith, faith that the word of the Lord is true, faith that the character of the Lord is certain, and faith that his mission is Sure. Remember, from a book perspective, we're tracing a main idea through these three chapters. We introduced it last week, but let's continue to to point ourselves back towards this idea, right? That, That though violence persists, God will not passively accept injustice. But he is instead moving creation towards a glorious day when the people of God are fully rescued. Until then, what do we do? Well, we walk by faith. We walk by faith in the promise of our salvation by the strength of the Lord and the joy that we find in him. Big picture from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. The righteous walk by faith. 
The righteous walk by faith, believing in God's promise to judge the greedy and the wicked at the appointed time. Three points that I want to narrow in on over the few minutes that we have together. Number one, there is hope amidst chaos. There is hope amidst chaos. There is hope amid chaos. Some of us are in real need of, of, of resting in that truth, in that reality this morning, in the midst of a chaotic world, in the midst of chaotic lives, circumstances, and experiences. And there is hope. This truth is affirmed in verses two through three. That's number one. Number two, there is an identifiable response in suffering from the righteous. Those who have been made righteous by Christ respond in an identifiable way to suffering. We see this in Habakkuk chapter 2. And number three, the same God who judges evil gathers together nations under the rule of a good king who could not contrast the wicked kings of this world any clearer. Number one, there is hope amidst chaos. In response to Habakkuk's complaint that the Lord would use the Babylonians to judge the sin of Judah, God emphasizes that hope and rest amid the promise of hardship is found only in him. Look with me at verse 2. Habakkuk is waiting upon the watchtower for the response of the Lord to his second complaint, to which the Lord says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. The instruction of the Lord here is a part of a greater pattern implemented by the Lord himself. In Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1, God promises deliverance while instructing Isaiah to take a large tablet and write on it common characters, a message intended to instill hope of restoration and future judgment. In verse 8, the Lord tells Isaiah, go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. To the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 30, verse 2, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I've spoken to you. And just so we know that this is not a, an Old Testament idea, but it finds a home in the New Testament, we look to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, in which the instruction of the Lord is clear. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Why? For what purpose? Those that are and those that are to take place after this. The Lord is intentional, right? The Lord is intentional to in his communication to his people. And it is clearly his desire that his word here would accomplish a specific purpose. What is that specific purpose? Well, it's this, right? That the gravity of his actions, that being the actions of the Lord, might be grasped. That his actions laid out in chapter 2 would serve to support what Habakkuk and those reading after him already know to be true about God. That God is holy. That God is 
that God is just, that God is perfect. This is who God is. And we as his people celebrate these attributes of his. He's a God who refuses to sacrifice righteousness by overlooking evil. He's demonstrated this by his willingness to use the Babylonians to judge the sin of Judah. The confidence that God is constructing in a people of faith that judgment for the Babylonians themselves and for their wicked acts is certain. That's the emphasis that we find in Habakkuk chapter 2. Take hope, right? This is the message in chapter 2, and this is the message to you and I. This is message of God to Habakkuk, and this is Habakkuk's message to the people of God living as exiles and sojourners surrounded by Babylons, surrounded by, by nations of this world and kings of this world who march forth in similar manner, taking what does not belong to them and acting as though they are themselves their own kings, that they themselves are their own gods. What is the message of God as he encourages Habakkuk to to pen this, right? To make it plain on tablets so that those who read may run. It is this, that I will vindicate my people. In this first portion of Habakkuk chapter 2, God is now addressing the vindication that is to be brought about for his people in response to the wicked acts of the Babylonians that he is using to judge the sin of his people. He is reassuring the people of God that I will vindicate you, that I am a God who who vindicates, who sees and, and hears the cries of his people. I've recognized the righteous remnant. And while suffering and hardship are most certainly upon the horizon, vindication belongs to me, okay? Vindication belongs to the Lord. Verse three. He says this, for for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, for I will not delay. Hope for those who trust in these promises from the Lord. This is a hopeful passage within this larger context of a very difficult message for the people of God. Verse four, behold, his soul is is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Again, representative of the king of Babylon, representative of this people that God is is marching into the land in in order to judge sin. His soul is puffed up, but the second half of verse four, the righteous shall live by faith. 
the righteous shall live by faith. We see through the second part of verse four that there is an identifiable response in suffering from the righteous. And so in part one, if we are seeking to to understand this hope amidst chaos, it is this, that there is vindication for the people of God. There's certainly judgment of sin. There's judgment of evil. He will not sit idly by. While, while sin seems to move forward unaddressed. He will address sin. He will do so by way of the hands of the Babylonians, but he will vindicate his people for their sin too shall be judged. The second half of verse four, the righteous shall live by faith. There is an identifiable response in suffering from the righteous. What does it look like? What does it look like as you survey in your own life your response to hardship, your response to suffering? Where do you go and to whom or what do you cling? We all have these things, don't we, right? You can identify them. If you take just a moment and you step away from your notes and you lift your head up, right, or you close your eyes and you think about what that looks like for you, surely it's identifiable, The right response, the response that the Lord is desiring from the righteous is this response of faith. God says to Habakkuk that for he and his people, the righteous remnant that will remain, that they will walk by faith in the promise of God to vindicate and to judge evil. Paul further unpacks this statement from God to Habakkuk in his letter to the Romans, chapter one, verses 16 and 17, when he writes, Habakkuk pointed, I'm sorry, Paul pointed to this verse scribed by Habakkuk multiple times in his New Testament writings. This is but one example. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, amen? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? There's this transcendent nature of the gospel that that ties all people together, that that what we share in common, regardless of, of age, creed, or race within this room, it's the gospel and it transcends any and all difference. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Man, R.C. Sproul, one of the, man, one of the great, one of the great fathers of the faith, right? A guy who has since passed away, but I would imagine many of you in this room have learned and gleaned under his ministry while he was alive, says this about this particular passage in which Paul quotes from Habakkuk chapter two. He says, one who lives by faith is a righteous person in the sight of God. What is it that makes us righteous in the sight of God? Well, it's addressed, it's laid out for us here in Romans chapter one. It's emphasized here, it's introduced in Habakkuk chapter two. It's, it's our faith. It's our faith that makes us righteous in the sight of God. Our faith ultimately in Jesus and his sufficient sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He said, the righteous live by trust. In other words, listen to this, this is so good. The thing that characterizes the righteous person above all else 
is an abiding trust in God and his promises. What is it that identifies or distinguishes the people of God, followers of Jesus and his friends within the culture? Well, it's faith. It's faith that distinguishes. It's trust in the promises of the Lord. Man, because righteous people trust in the Lord, they continue to believe him even when he seems slow to act. Is that not the message that Habakkuk is is driving home here in chapter two, that's being driven home to Habakkuk here in chapter two? Rest assured, justice wins, righteousness wins. I win, I am exercising my plan and purposes perfectly ruling sovereignly over all of creation and all of circumstance, over all of your suffering. It may seem as though I am slow to act, but the righteous person shall live by faith, trusting that I will indeed bring about my my will. And then he makes this distinction. Listen to the distinction. I want you to consider the distinction. He, He writes this. He says, they do not just believe in God. Now he's talking about the righteous, right? Who lives, by, who lives by faith. This call from God to Habakkuk as he surveys the landscape, suffering is before me. There's this expectation of hardship. We see how deep that runs as we come into chapter three. Like all the produce like is out. Like there's no more like, like herds, right? Like no herds in the stalls, no produce on the vine. Like, man, if times are slim, In whom do we believe? In whom do we trust? He says this. He says, they do not just believe in God, but they believe God. Do you understand the distinction there? Right? To not just believe in God, but to believe God. To believe his word to be true. Right? To believe his word to be, to be certain that we may rest on it, even amid suffering, even amid hardship, even amid uncertainty. That we can rest in the promises of the Lord. I mean, the righteous don't just believe in God, but they believe God. Think about the implications of this. Holy cow, like if you're sitting here as a Christian, you're going, yeah. Like I need to familiarize myself more with what God says, <laughs> right? So that I can believe that. Like how am I supposed to believe what I, don't, what I don't know? This promise of vindication, like amen, yes and amen. Like we believe this, why? I mean, because the righteous don't just believe in God, but we believe God. Right? We believe that this is what he is, he is doing. This is what God is, is calling Habakkuk to. This is what Habakkuk is ultimately calling us to. Belief, confidence, in God. Consequently, Sproul writes, they are faithful to him. Right? We we believe in God, we believe God, and consequently we are faithful to God. We obey him truly, though imperfectly, out of this deep loyalty to him. This is what Paul's hammering home in verses six through eight. This is what's being introduced to us as we read the writings of Habakkuk here in Habakkuk chapter two, the just shall live by trust. Did you catch that? 
that the just shall live by trust. The righteous shall live by trust. Trust in the God of our salvation. Trust in the God of our salvation to fulfill his promises to his people. If you have been reconciled to God, that is, if you have been justified through the work of Jesus, you shall live by faith. Listen, we've got a lot of things going on across this room, right? There's a lot of things going on. You guys are involved in different tasks. You work different vocations. Some of you are are desiring vocation, right? To address all of these individual issues, man, I mean, we would be here all afternoon, right? But here's what we can say amid these individual situations and circumstances. While we may not be able to address exactly what the right next step is this morning, we can certainly say that that step is made in faith. Right, that it's made in confidence in the Lord, that we can trust him, we can trust his word, we can trust that we are, that we are saved, right? that we've been called into community with the Lord and now we live as his people, sent, sojourners, in a crazy place, in a crazy world, to live by trust. So what does this look like? Well, the author to the Hebrews helps us to see. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. The author writes, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the the ancients were commanded for. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what it is, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. What in the world does that mean? We're going to touch base on it in just a moment. By faith. Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one, commended as one who pleased God. Verse 6. And without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Man, the people of God can be identified in their distinctness from the world through their faith. Faith that inspires and strengthens belief in God as the all-good, all-sufficient creator of the heavens and the earth. Amen? Faith that inspires sacrifice, right? Creating a a biblical worldview that, that says the best that we have belongs to the Lord because he has chosen to bless Faith, trust, confidence that death has been stolen, its sting through the work of the seed, Jesus, who will raise us to eternal life with him. So that as, as Abel speaks, so too shall we. Confidence in the vindication of God's people. 
confidence and a resurrection hope for God's people. And James 1, the half-brother of Jesus, encourages scattered Christian Jews to count it all joy when they meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of their faith produces steadfastness and ultimately completeness that we would be lacking in nothing. Trials can be counted as joy because God is using them to preserve our faith, making us more and more and more like Christ in the face of hardship, in the presence of suffering. The righteous will live. That is our hope. That is our confidence. We are alive and we are more alive than we can even begin to fully comprehend or grasp this morning. And we celebrate the life that we have, life in Christ, not simply that we, we inhale and exhale breath from our lungs, but that we have been made alive in Jesus. That we have been rescued from judgment as he, the righteous one, takes our place, becoming the object of the judgment, the subject of the judgment that we deserve as rebellious creatures. We live by faith. We are made alive by this faith. And now consequently, we live by this faith. If you're a Christian this morning, know this, or you are a a Christian because God has, has opened your eyes and your hearts to see the glory of Christ, to turn from your sin and to cast yourself upon him. Now you are alive. The same call is extended out. You're here and you don't know Jesus, man. The call is is quite simple. Trust in Jesus. Believe on Christ. Gaze upon his finished work knowing that there is a day of judgment, but the Lord is faithful to rescue the righteous who gaze upon his son in trust and trust in Jesus. In the face of hardship, in the presence of suffering, the righteous will live. We will continue to live. We may feel like we are dying sometimes, but we are alive. Saved from judgment, having been given the gift of eternal life, all as a result, not simply of faith, but faith in Christ. Third observation, let's close out with this. Number three, the same God who judges evil gathers together nations under the rule of a king who could not contrast to the wicked kings of this world any clearer. Through the king of Babylon, who is, verse 5, arrogant and never at rest, whose greed is as wide as Sheol, who gathers for himself from among the nations a people whom he would introduce to pain, suffering, and death. Leadership among the people of God is lacking. Sin is rampant. And yet the the Lord's call is clear. Trust. Trust in his heart. Trust in his work. Trust in his word. And ultimately, ultimately, here it is. Trust in his king. A king. Who through humility 
and power. Self-sacrifice and, and grace transcends the evil. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Calling, hear this, see this, calling from the four corners of this world. People from every tribe and tongue to be with and enjoy him. To enjoy a world without evil and a world without suffering. Habakkuk 2 introduces us to this idea even further. God is judging wickedness and he will judge wickedness. This vision that Habakkuk has, this is part one. Next week, we get into this woe to the Chaldeans portion where God further unpacks the the specifics of his judgment. But but we begin here with this, this idea, this vision that is recorded to encourage the people of God, made righteous in Christ, to walk by faith, believing the promises of God to rescue and to save. So if you're sitting here and you're asking the following question, that is all like well and good. Like it's super helpful to understand and to realize that the Lord vindicates his people that justice ultimately belongs to him and that he will exercise in power his supreme purposes of judging the wickedness of and elevating his great king. But how in the world do we move out from this? Like, what do we do in light of this reality? This is, a, this is a, an incredibly helpful theological concept, but what do we do now? Are you guys ready for this? Here's what we do. Okay, we, we move forward and we move out. Now there's intentionality in that language, okay? As the church, we are an outward facing people. As the church, we are an upward facing people. We look to the Lord, right? We look to the Lord and we move out into the world as a people who are commissioned by our king to live mission. Right, that is to herald the gospel. I was here Tuesday night in this room and we talked all about evangelism and what it looks like to give your life for the work of personal evangelism. Committed to the work of personal evangelism. I told them and I'll tell you the same thing. There is no greater task that you could give your life to than this work. And that is the heralding of the gospel. This is what we are called into We gaze up upon Christ in in hope and confidence, assured hope and assured confidence. We face out. We live as a people confident in the plan of God. We pursue righteousness, having been made righteous through Christ, all to the glory of God. And you go, well, that's pretty like nebular. Like what what specifically am I supposed to do? Like how does this help me to be? Like a better husband or a a better parent or a better coworker or a better boss or a better student, a better brother, a better sister, right? A better friend. What does this look like? Well, here's the deal. Here's the reality. As we we gaze up upon Christ and we look out toward people and we live confident in the plan of God, pursuing righteousness as, as one who has been made righteous through Christ, all to the glory of God, the rest of that stuff works itself out. Does that make sense? 
right? Like the rest of that stuff works its, itself out, right? We, we're equipped with the word of God. We've been called into community with the people of God to have conversations about what this looks like, pointing one another back to the hope of the gospel. We move forward and we move out in this confidence that God's plan is certain. We pursue righteousness as those who have been made righteous all to the glory of God. We are now free. Anybody want to be free? Man, we're free. We're, we're free from anxiousness. We are free from fear. We are free from plans of vengeance. As we come into Habakkuk chapter three, the posture of Habakkuk will have drastically changed from what we observe in chapter two, verse one. And it's all as a result of this confidence that the Lord is building within Habakkuk here in this chapter two. There's this desire, okay? And I even feel it, okay? Let me invite you into the tension that I was living in this past week. A desire to like motor through chapter two and to get to chapter three because man, what a, I mean, what a glorious picture in chapter three. Man, but let us not, let us not hurry through Habakkuk's sanctification. Okay, let's not, let's not hurry through it, but let's, let's rest in it. Let's understand that it begins with this, with this confidence. We're free from anxiousness. We're free from fear. We're free from plans of vengeance. Why? Well, because judgment and justice belong to the Lord. We endure suffering and we take delight in the Lord of truth and his word. This is where we are and this is how we respond. And so as we come to the table this morning and we consider just this, this full picture of, of these few verses here in chapter two, as we set our sights on the woe to the Chaldeans portion, things are going to get like really intense next week. Let us come as a people desiring obedience to the call of the Lord to Habakkuk, extended out to the righteous that we might live by faith. Is that where you are right now? What is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? What is the subject of your faith? Who is the subject of your faith? What faith is it? The righteous before the Lord will walk in faith. Faith and, and confidence in the promises of God. We get a glimpse here in Habakkuk chapter two, but oh, what a fuller picture we get as we consider, as we consider the redemptive narrative as a whole. Right, that God will both judge the wicked, right? While, while rescuing. Sinners to himself through the finished work of Jesus. Right, like do we, do we see that, that we have like reserved seats as objects of wrath? Only, only we're made righteous through Christ. We come to the table this morning as a, as a righteous people, not because of what we have done, but entirely because of whom we have believed in. Entirely because of whom we believe. So as we come to the table this morning, let's, let's work, right? Let's consider these truths. Let's consider these realities. 
What does it look like to walk by faith? Where are we currently struggling? And what does it look like to, to cast our anxieties and fears upon the Lord that we might begin to, as he so desires, live out this Habakkuk 2 type of model? Are you guys with me? Yeah, you're not alone in this. We're all struggling and we're all looking to Jesus as the source of our strength. Let's pray together and let's ask him to strengthen us by way of his spirit to lean into these realities this morning.